Such a feeling's coming over me There is wonder in most everything I see Not a cloud in the sky Got the sun in my eyes And I won't be surprised if it's a dream I'm on top of the world This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate plans The talking about some seriously strong cheese this morning, um, and I, we're not getting any, you know, there's no uh, commercial deal with them, but maybe there should be, and it makes some extra money. Anyway, um, they, repeat this saying, God will never give me more than, it's not biblical, folks. It's not. We, you know what, I'm sure I've even counseled people in that where, you know, somebody's going through a hard time, and I probably, I'm sure I've said this. You know what, God's only going to give you what you can handle. You're going to get through this. It's not true. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. Isn't that a little discouraging? <laughs> okay, where do we mess up? Where do we have this misinterpretation of the word? Uh, let's bring it up, and let's take a look at what actually is being said and how we've taken it out of context. This is Paul. This is a letter that he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, No temptation has overtaken you, except that it, what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Here it comes. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, you will, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's, there is a huge difference between temptation and suffering. Everybody can, can overcome temptation. There, there are no excuses. You know, you, that, that sin that you fell into, that was your choice. It, didn't, it, it wasn't a violation of your will. You, you chose to do that sin. I was once uh, uh, doing some pastoral counseling with a guy. He's not here. A long, long time ago. And, you know, he, he was a great guy. You know what? He loved to read the word, and he, you know, he loved to come to church, and he was a bringer. I mean, he brought friends, and super excited about God, and he had every, you know, he was really working on everything except for the ladies. He liked himself some ladies, so, you know, he would say stuff, well, that's just a thorn in my side. I'm like, whatever. Um, so he just, you know, he said, you know, Joshua, I'm a, I'm a sexual man, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, that I'm, so am I not a sexual man? <laughs> Uh, I didn't say that, but that's, what, that's what's going through my head. Wow. So I guess, I guess all these other men that are, oh, I, should, I, have to be, I have to behave, don't I? All these other guys that are, that are not blowing it, um, I guess they're just not sexual men, aren't they? It's not an excuse. So uh, you know what? Temptation can be overcome because temptation 
is a choice. Suffering, on the other hand, is not. You, you may be suffering something, and it might not, it, maybe it's something that you did that's caused the suffering, but sometimes things happen that are outside of your ability to control it, and you will suffer. And uh, the, this, this saying that we said, God's only gonna, he's not gonna give you what you cannot handle, it is such a misuse of scripture, and I think that it's done a lot of people wrong because people end up suffering or they've been broken or they, they have failed and, and they're thinking, well, the word of God has, has led me astray because Pastor Josh said that God's not gonna give me anything that I can't handle. But it, again, it's not true. And if you have read the scriptures, if you read the narrative from front to back, you know that people in the book suffer. And they suffer, and they suffer. But the key is, they persevere. The key is, you know, there's something deep down inside of them that has, uh, has helped them to overcome. They were able to tap into God's power. That's the beautiful point about the scriptures and the gospel message, is that it's not, it's not their power that has got them through it. It is God's power. Okay, back to the saying. God's only going to give you what you can handle. You know what the other major problem with that saying is? If God's only going to give you stuff that you can handle, well, then you don't need God. Does that make sense? Why would God only give you stuff that you can handle? God wants you to rely on him. He wants you to trust in him. He wants you to know that there are things in your life that only he can help you with. So that saying, I'm, unfortunately, it, it is, it's caused a lot of damage, and it's caused a lot of frustration in a lot of believers. All right, but the good news is, we serve a God that is out to restore us, and he's out to redeem every situation. And if you have been broken, if you have been hurt, if you have failed, you get to, you get to eat the seriously strong cheese. That's all right, um, a couple of scriptures that I want to look at. Second um, Samuel, verse ten. The individual that was able to uh, really harness this—the idea that um, that suffering is a part of life, and that tension tension is a part of life—is a good thing. Now, here's here's the unfortunate truth about where God wants us. God wants us to live a life of tension. And that's, you might not want to hear it, but it's true. He wants you to go to work six days a week. He wants you to strive. He wants you to have that, that tension in your life. And, and Jesus said it himself, in this world, you will have hardships. You will have struggles. You're going to have to work in this world. It's not going to be easy. So he's being, Jesus is being really honest and transparent, and he's really preaching an unpopular message, but he lays it all out there. In this life, you're going to have problems. Now, how we approach our problems is, is, is the key to success in ministry, and it's the key to success in life. And there's basically, there's two approaches that we have when we're facing a very stressful, tense situation. And it could be anything from, you know, a job situation, it could be a relationship, it could be a marriage, it could be kids and family, it could, it could, be, it could be evil itself. 
but how we face stress and tension uh, says a lot about us and how we relate to it. Now, the person that did it well is King David. David had this ability, whenever he found himself in a stressful situation, he ran to his problems. He didn't run away. He ran to his problems. Whenever there was a giant in the field, he ran to the problem in the field, and he faced his giant. Um, whenever there was a battle, he was, he was in the battle, and he fought in the battle. He was on the field. He ran into the He faced it head on. And this is, this is the key to why he was so successful. Now, um, people who, who thrive on conflict, stress might be easier for you than people that don't thrive on conflict. And if you don't, okay, the pro, what's the problem with the people that thrive on conflict? The good news is that they're, over, they're able to overcome conflict. What's the bad news about people that thrive on conflict? They're out looking for problems. They're picking fights. You know, they get, they get the adrenaline rush when things go bad. They, they want to mix it up, and they want to stir the pot a little bit. Okay, so that's the bad thing. But the good attribute for people that thrive on conflict is that when, when opposition hits them, they head it head on, and they're able to overcome it. And this is the key thing that David had. And when David was not on the field, you know what he did? Connected with God. He was able to, he wrote he, he was able to, to have this relationship with God that was key. All right, so let's see what he does. Um, the historical setup of this is that uh, David is now the newly appointed king of Israel. Uh, he has come off of a series of successes. Saul has died. His best friend Jonathan has died, and he's now king. And um, people are noticing the favor that he has and the surrounding kingdoms are giving him lots of money. They're shipping in gold and silver and big giant uh, gold plates, and they're just, they're just giving him all of this stuff. And he's able to line up some very strategic alliances, and uh, uh, he's got some incredible allies. So he's beginning to act and think like a good king instead of a warlord. Okay? And uh, one of them, one of his allies, one of the neighboring kingdoms that uh, is his friend, stabs him in the back, embarrasses him in front of everybody. He, he sends an envoy to, 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 to communicate and to congratulate, and they shave the guy's heads off, and they, they humiliate, they shave their beard off. That's, like, really bad. And so they, they humiliate him, and then they, they, they draw up lines, they draw up battle lines, and David's first response is, all right, game on. Uh, well, let's do this thing. And so he comes off of an incredible victory. The way that it's written in the previous verse is that David has, he has uh, dethroned uh, 70 char charioteers. And the way that it's written is like as if he did it himself. It's like he, as if he personally jumped on 70 chariots and yanked the guys off and, and slew them. And there's 40,000 infantrymen that David, you know, Again, the way that it, the, the poetic, the, the way that it comes across is that David killed them all, and he also killed their commander. Comes off of an incredible victory, and this is what happens next. When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went into Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David, and they fought against him. Here we go. So the, the battle's over. David has won, and this is a new day. In the springtime. 
At the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, his general, out with the king's men and the whole of, Israel, and the whole of Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rahab, but David remained in Jerusalem. What do kings do in the springtime? They go off to war. Who's the new king? David. And so David, maybe he thought he had the right to rest. Maybe he said, you know what, I've come off a string of victories. I am going to take it easy. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to lounge around the pool, and I'm going to, I'm going to relax in my resort town of Jerusalem. I'm going to enjoy life a little bit. And do you guys know what happens next? It is the great fall of one of the great men of the Bible. He's, he's lounging on his recliner around the pool, and, he, and, and another terrace over, he sees the beautiful Bathsheba, and he, he uh, chooses temptation. He falls to temptation. And it's one of the worst sins recorded in the Bible. Not only does he force adultery onto her, he commits murder by killing her husband. It is, it is one of the worst things. And what's the point here? The point is God wants to keep you in a continual state of tension. Because where David was the most vulnerable was in this point of least resistance. God wanted him in the field because that's where kings belong. God wanted him fighting, but he chose not to go, and therefore he was weaker in a state of less tension. He couldn't fly in that situation. So God moves us. He, he intend, and it's in the Bible. And you're thinking to yourself, Josh, I can't take any more stress in my life. I can't take another ounce of tension. And this is, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Do you Sabbath? Are you faithful to the rhythm of life that God has created for you? Sabbath. You ought to be working very hard all week long, but one day a week, defrag. You have, to, you have to Sabbath. You have to connect with God. You have to connect with that source of power that will get you through another six days. It can be done, folks. So it's not an excuse. You can't say, I can't handle any more tension in my life. I'm, instead of facing and running towards the problem, I'm going to go into my fetal position. I'm going to get small and not deal with it. If you Sabbath, you will be empowered to overcome it. It's, it's a promise. It's a promise. All right, so David, uh, he chooses to Sabbath way too long. He gets way too comfortable. He gets way too lazy, and he falls to this sin and to this temptation. And so the, the thing that we really need to get across is, okay, so, okay, God, I realize that you want me to stay in tension, but this is too hard. You ever, you, okay, you, I don't know what your tension is. And again, maybe your tension and maybe your suffering is something that's been inflicted on you that is outside of your will. You have no control over this. So how do you get over it? How do you learn from it? How can you thrive in this situation? Years ago, when, I, when, my, when my daughter was four, um, here comes our, our illustration here. It's, um, when my daughter was four, we were in Laguna Beach instead of Costco, and she made me buy this kite, which cost us 40 bucks. I know. What are you going to do? You're at the beach, and you have a four-year-old girl that's got you wrapped around her finger. And, and so 
And so she just, Dad, I gotta have, I know, we just can't get away from Disney, right? This is, this is Ariel, if you don't know. And uh, for those of you that knew that we just did a series on the gospel according to Disney, we did not do Ariel, I'm sorry, but, uh, or The Little Mermaid. So anyway, my daughter makes me buy this kite, and of course we try to go fly it at the beach, and there's no wind, so it's kind of a bummer. And we're like, we're going to fly this kite, dang it, because we spent so much money on it. And so uh, the next week or so, um, we, we go to Lake Gregory, and the wind is just, it's kicking. It's, it's, it's very strong. And which is a great thing because we're able to fly this immediately. And it's not like you have to go, you know, uh, 200 feet down with one person holding the kite and the other person with the string. And then you, you throw it up and then you run really fast to get it to go. You know what I'm talking about? So we didn't have to do that. Um, it, the, the, the wind was so strong that you could just hold it like this and it just it went right up, right from your hand. And I was able to give my daughter this kite uh, with it flying. And as soon as she grabbed it, and as soon as she felt the tension, uh, this joy, this giddy joy of a little girl that has flown the kite for the first time just started bubbling. She was so excited, and it was awesome. And it got going higher and higher and higher, and Sophia's little face was just lighting up. And um, I, I can't throw it down quite yet. And so what happened is we had a big, giant gust of wind that hit, and this piece popped out. This little black rod popped out and it went boing, and we could see it shoot up into the sky. And then the kite just immediately fell. And I'm like, it was like, you know, went from smiles to uh, our eyes got real big, Mako's eyes got real big. We look over at Sophia, her face just kind of fell. And then the little chin started to quiver. You know what that means, parents, right? The little, the little chin started to quiver a little bit. Daddy, go get it. <laughs> go get it. And she's, she's just lost it. She went from one extreme of extreme joy to like almost like horror, almost like extreme sadness. And so sure enough, I, I pull my pants up as high as I can get them above my knees, and I start wading through uh, Lake Gregory. I'm not quite sure if it's a lake or if it's a swamp um, <laughs> because it's just, it's just kind of gross. But... It's a beautiful lake, don't get me wrong, I love it there. But the, I mean, the same is true with Arrowhead, right? If you've been swimming in Arrowhead and that, that slime layer that's about like that big that you have to walk on, it's gross. But anyway, so I'm looking through, I'm looking for this black stick in, in, the, in this muck. And I'm thinking, this is, I'm, I'm never gonna find this thing. And the sun is setting and it's getting darker and darker. And um, I'm looking and I'm scouring and I'm searching through this water and it's cold. And it's, it, I mean, the sun is down. And so I, at the point that I gave up, have any of you done this? At the point that I gave up, I see a stick in the water, in this, in this mire. And it's even covered in silt. So I don't even see black. I see brown. And um, I just said, no way. It's my natural mind saying, it's impossible. No way. And it didn't look like this fiberglass thing. It looked like a natural stick. And I swear, God said, Josh, stick your hand in the water and grab it. And I got it. And sure enough, here it is. Out of the muck and out of the mire, this little stick. And we were able to redeem the situation. And my daughter was happy again. But 
there's two main points that I want to talk about in this illustration. The first point that we need to take home today is God wants you to live a life that has tension in it. It's unavoidable. It is manageable, but it is unavoidable. Point one, God wants us to live in tension. Why? So that we can fly. If you don't have this, this tenseness on your life, if the Holy Spirit doesn't have something to blow against, you're not going to fly. And then the second point that we need to make is that if, or more likely when, you break, God never said that you weren't going to break, did he? He never, he never says that in the Bible. It's full of promises. He, said, he never says that you're just not going to break. You're just, you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. No, he doesn't say that. But you know what he does say? You know what the promise is? He says, no matter what your circumstances, no matter how hard you break or how hard you fall or how deep you sink into muck and mire, I will pull you out. I am there to save you. Whether the, whether the tragedy or the suffering is your fault or somebody else's fault, I will pull you out. And that is the beauty of our gospel. That is the beauty of our, of our message that we get. All right. Psalms 40. Actually, let's, let's wait on that. Two application points that, uh, that I think you, that we all need to get. Uh, first, is when we, have, when we have this tension in our life, um, I want you to ask yourself, am I like David or am I not like David? When tension comes into my life, do I cut bait or do I face the problem? So that's, that's one application. that You've got to go home and you've got to ask yourself, what is my character makeup whenever I'm faced with a difficult situation? Am I going to cut bait? Am I going to run away? Or am I going to, to face the problem? Now, the biblical way is to actually face the problem. You've got to face your problems. That is, that's the number one thing. And the second thing is, when you are faced with a difficult situation and a difficult problem, and again, it could be anything from, all right, I'm having a hard time on my finances, I can't pay my bills, or it could be I'm having a difficult time in my relationships, my marriage is on the rocks, my kids are ornery, uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, all these, I'm dealing with depression, I'm dealing with all these little things. So it could, be, it could be those things. It could be an illness. It could be a sickness. Uh, it could be even downright evil that is coming in from the outside. How do I handle it? Here's what we gotta do. We have to have the character and the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to speak life into any dead situation. Have you ever experienced a dead situation? Maybe it's a dead relationship. Maybe it's a dead career. Maybe it's a dead, I don't know, uh, work environment. That's the his career. But anyway, you're, you're facing a dead situation and you feel like giving up. God wants us to seek him so that we can speak life into any situation. This is what it looks like in the Bible. If you want to get your Bibles out and turn to Ezekiel 37. 
And um, I'm going to read it out of my Bible just because it's a little different on the screen. But anyway, 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. Okay, underline that part right there. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit. Other translations says, say that uh, while I was in the Spirit. It's an important point to, to remember. Okay, while I was in the Spirit, he sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can you see these bones live? Do you have vision for this dead situation? That's what he's asking. I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the salvation of the Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I will attach tendon to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then the then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied I was, I was, as I was commanded. And, I, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling, a sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but, they were, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath entered them and came to life, and they stood up on their feet as a vast army. Isn't that amazing? Ezekiel was a prophet that was ripped out of his homeland. He wrote this in exile. And while in exile, the spirit of the Lord came on him and he went into the spirit. Same thing happens with Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah was in exile. He says, uh, I went into the spirit. And ironically, the study that we're going to be doing on Revelation, uh, John of Patmos, who wrote, who wrote Revelation in exile, in basically in prison, said, I went into the spirit. And when he went into the spirit, he received revelation. They all received revelation. God was showing them a vision of restoration. God was showing them a vision that he has it under control and he can fix any situation. And this vision, not only is it a vision, but it's also this incredible partnership because who raises the bones to life? It was Ezekiel. God commanded Ezekiel to prophesy and to actually speak life and to speak flesh and tendon and blood and flesh onto something that was dead. That's our jobs. We are to speak life onto something that is dead. What is the opposite of that? Well, you could, the opposite would be speaking negative, to be speaking death into a situation. I'll give you a really good example of this. It is so easy for us to say negative things. For us to downplay something, for us to be negative, it just comes naturally. We like to complain about stuff. 
We are a nation of gripers. We are a nation of complainers. And if there's a negative angle, we'll take it. Yesterday, I was playing racquetball with one of my friends, and he's a believer, and um, he knows that I'm a pastor. And as, we were get, he, as he was getting ready, his three boys were there, and they, I don't know how old they are. They were like this old, and then this old, and then this old, okay? That's how old they were. And in, in the racquetball court, the, the racquetball ought to be bouncing around the walls, but these little boys came in to hang out with me, and they were bouncing around the walls. They, they took my ball away from me. They took my racket away from me. Uh, they were chasing me around the racquetball court. Super cute kids. Um, very high energy boys. And uh, I, I, I had a great time. I love these kids. And you know, finally, my friend's ready to play. We kick, the, we kick the munchkins out. And I say to my friend, I say, wow, you got, your boys are energetic. They're going to be beating each other up when they're older. Okay, you know what he said? He says, I don't receive that word. He says, get behind me, Satan. I know, I know. This is the first time I've ever had anybody call me Satan to my face. I'm sure it happens all the time. You know, and people have called me other things to my face. But I want you to think about that. See how naturally it came to me to, to put a negative light on some energetic boys? Oh, they're going to beat each other up someday. But see, my friend was able to take the gospel message, and he, he, he knows what's at stake. His kids are at stake. And so he is going to guard them like a good father should and to make sure that there are no negative death words spoken into him, even if he has to offend a senior pastor. Isn't that awesome? So, okay, do you see? I want you to, to, to mentally be in charge of your mind and your mouth. What is coming out of your mouth? Are you a gossip? Are you, are you, are you, can you find fault in everybody? Can you find fault in any situation? Maybe you should like turn the news off for a while. I don't know. I mean, we need to watch it, but at the same time, man, they tear each other up, don't they? You have to monitor what you say and how you say it and what situation you are in, speak life into it. And that might be very difficult for some of you that are dealing with suffering that is beyond your circumstances. Rely on the Lord. It, it, most of the time it is beyond your circumstances. So there is a very... Simple but extremely difficult application. How do you speak life into something? How do you get away from gossip and bickering and backstabbing? How do you get away from this stuff? Well, you have to have a vision of what God will do if there's life into a situation. He raised up a dead army. And he can do that in your life. He can do that in any situation that you're facing, no matter how bad it is, if we're able to speak life into it, it can be raised to life. We have the assignment to do it. We are the ones that prophesy life. I'm going to give you the definition of prophecy in this. Prophecy is not, uh, you know, the Notre Dame effect. You know, the, look, 
we want control. We want to know what the future is. We want to know if we have five more years to party or not. God doesn't care about letting you know what the future is. The purpose of prophecy is to build and to encourage the church, to build and encourage you to breathe life into a situation. So if you think that you have a word from the Lord and it's extremely negative, you check that. You have to check that at the door. But if you get, a word, if you get an impression on your mind, uh, if you get somebody's face in your head and you can see that they are in the muck and they are in the mire, that they're depressed or that they're hurting and, and you are in the spirit and God gives you a word for them, that is your assignment to speak life into their heart. And again, it's gonna be easier to say, oh, you're, you're in this situation because you have sin in your life. That's, that's the easy way out. But if you can see what God sees and if you can act like God acts, he will restore every situation. Psalms 40, I'm gonna close with this. Psalms 40, written by David, written by somebody that knew how to function in, in a tense, stressful life more than anybody else, but obviously had some character flaws. He failed in a lot of different areas. But when he was stressed, when he was broken, do you know that he was broken? He was at, he was at the end of the rope. His, his support thing sprung out of his kite. He lost all attention and power in his life. And when he did, he said, I, I cried out to the Lord in my point of need. I, I waited on the Lord. He turned to me. God makes the, the, the gesture of turning to you. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the muck and mire. He sets my feet upon a rock. He establishes me on a firm foundation. And then what happens? He puts a new song in my heart. And the purpose of the new song is that we can sing or speak of his goodness of his righteousness, so that we can speak life into any situation. There's the beautiful part about our Lord. Even when we break, he reaches down into the muck and mire. You might feel like you're completely lost. You might feel like nobody sees you and nobody understands your problem, but the Lord will reach down as far as he can. He will pull you out of the muck and mire. I guarantee it. All right, if I could have the ushers come to the front and the band. Here's what I want to send you away with. I gave you a couple of application points, but I need, you need to say, you need to be in the spirit. What does that look like? What does that mean? What is, the answer, the revelation, is when, when we are in the Spirit. I don't know what that looks like for you. And the way that God works, it is different for everybody. You might, be, you might have a, a, a real vision. You might have a dream. You might have a strong impression. 
I don't know what it means to be in the Spirit. I have some general ideas, but it's gonna be different for everybody. So when you seek God, when you're facing this difficult situation, um, instead of focusing on the problem, focusing, focus more about being in the Spirit. What is that? I don't know what that is for you. It can be just a complete detachment of everything that's going on. But be in the Spirit. When you pick up the book, don't study it. I mean, there's times to study the Word. But when you're facing a problem, don't study the word. You read it. You, you, you read it in the spirit. You consume it. You let it come up and bubble up in you. It will minister to you if you choose not to study it and if you choose to read it and let them be words of life. I'm going to challenge you. Ask God, God, how do I get into the spirit this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day, this beautiful day and this weekend. And I thank you for this group of, of Granite Creek that call this place home, that have chosen the Sabbath instead of spending their three-day weekend somewhere else. God, I pray that you'll bless them for their faithfulness. God, I pray that those that need rest, that they'll get rest. Those that need to get into the field, God. I pray that you will encourage them to get into the field. Strengthen us, God. Strengthen us. For those that are, that are broken, those that have hit rock bottom, God, give us that seriously strong cheese. We love you, God.